What exploration of the Christian faith would be complete without a journey into the subject of forgiveness? Forgiveness seems like a simple subject. Most of us have a pretty good idea what forgiveness is, or at least we think we do. But words and concepts in God's kingdom often have deeper or even different meanings than that of our everyday usage. Let's talk about forgiveness today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert. And I'm Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, we've covered some challenging subjects on this still relatively new podcast, but the topic of forgiveness seems to me to be essentially a simple one. Am I underestimating the subject? Probably, but I know what you're saying because forgiveness is something that a lot of people talk about, and it's a word a lot of people use, but it, it, it basically it's a concept that our culture doesn't believe in anymore. It's a concept, you know, there, there's permission, and then there's no forgiveness, and there's not really any sort of sense, t- typically, there's not any sort of sense that uh, deep wrongs can be done away with in our culture. They're either um, unforgivable or it's permission. But when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it doesn't mean permission. And of course, it's the opposite of unforgivable. And so... It's a simple concept on its face, but it's so difficult. You're, you're also right, too, because a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far have been kind of philosophical, the problem of evil, and this isn't so much, but it, it's so important. It's right at the heart of Christianity. It's right at the heart of how God relates to us. And so, yeah, we, we, this is something that if we're going to talk about Christianity, we've got to talk about forgiveness. So what did you say? How did you say that? In our culture, we don't have forgiveness anymore. It's gone. Yeah. So things are either permissible, the, the, you know, and, and frequently when our culture talks about forgiveness, that's what they mean. You know, well, why can't you just forgive them? Usually they mean, well, why can't you just let it go? Well, just allow it. And then there's the unforgivable. There's the unforgivable. I'm reading a book right now, um, um, a story about uh, a chaplain. A Lutheran chaplain in World War II named Henry Garricky, who ended up being asked to be, because he knew German, ended up being asked to be the chaplain to the defendants at the Nuremberg trial, the Nazi war criminals. And a lot of people were very, very frustrated with his stated goal that I want to see these men experience forgiveness for the evil and heinous crimes that they've committed against humanity. There's this sense that there are some things that you can do that just can never be forgiven. Our culture believes in that, and um, God, according to the Bible, does not believe in that. His grace is much greater than any kind of sin that anybody could commit. So it's important to talk about forgiveness in a way that undercuts the um, bad notions of it that our culture has. So I want you to think about yourself as a parent, and as a parent, I'm sure your children do things that are wrong from time to time. And you find yourself in a position to say, I forgive you. Yeah. As parents, let's, let's broaden this out, not just to Aaron Miller specifically, but on, on a general type of approach. When parents say, I forgive you, are they really forgiving or are they just sort of saying, well, I agree to overlook this? Yeah. So there's probably, there's a spectrum here. Where we, we we use the word forgive 
in a good sense, we use the word forgive for a lot of different things. On one side of the spectrum, there's something small. I somebody steps on my toe, and I and they say, "Oh, I'm sorry," and I say, "I probably will say." Uh, no worries, man. Or, you know, it's it's okay. I probably won't use the word forgive there. But um, there's also bigger things. But is that what you mean? No worries, man. When you say, is that, do you mean I forgive you? Is that what that no, means? Probably not. That's probably why I don't say I forgive you. It's that, that would probably come across a little snarky if somebody says, oh, I, you know, I bumped into you. Sorry about that. And I said, I forgive you. It would come across as a little bit flippant, like I was making a joke. But we use the word forgiveness uh, for, um, the the choice to lovingly absorb the pain that somebody causes instead of passing it on to them. That's what we mean by forgiveness. So if one of my children, uh, for instance, lies to me, or I could flip this around, if I would lie to one of my children and then uh, go and, and say, will you forgive me? The pain that that lie causes, the pain, lies cause pain. This is what they do. Uh, they cause a fracturing of a relationship, hurt feelings, my child, if they chose to forgive me, would say, I'm going to take that pain, which I, I – there's a certain sort of you know, justice where you deserve to feel that pain that you caused me, but instead of causing you to feel it, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to absorb that pain myself. That's what we're talking about, biblical forgiveness. So I'm kind of wandering in the wilderness now. I started off in this conversation sort of thinking that – Forgiveness is a simple subject. Everybody knows what it means. But when you say that it is more or less disappeared from our culture, mm -hmm. that sounds more like maybe nobody knows what it means. So which is it? A lot of people know what, what it means, especially Christians for, who are called to live in it. Also, just I think anybody can understand what it means. And also, I want to say this, that, that there are non-Christians who genuinely offer forgiveness, too. That's, that's not what I'm saying. A lot of us know what it means to forgive, but it's frankly impossible for a lot of us to actually do, to know in that sense. I can know in a textbook sense that forgiveness means absorbing the pain that somebody else has caused me and not turning it back on them. But knowing the experience of forgiving them is something totally different. I can know what it means, but knowing what it feels like, knowing how to do it, that's something different. And that's what makes it so hard. Which do you think is harder, to ask for forgiveness or to grant forgiveness? They're both hard. They're both hard because they both involve an undermining of a sense of justice. For the person who has to ask for forgiveness, you go to somebody and you say, I have damaged you, and I'm asking you not to give me that damage back. That's a tough thing to do because there's this sense that you know, you made your bed, now lie in it. To offer somebody forgiveness, too, is also extremely difficult because what you're saying is, is yes, you've hurt me. And this is very, very important that we understand that, that forgiveness does not mean at all saying, well, it's not a big deal to act like it's, it doesn't hurt. And this is what people's barriers to forgiveness frequently. This is what it is, is that they're scared that if I do forgive, it means that the pain that they caused me is not important. And that's not, it's, it's very, 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 very painful to forgive somebody else and to say, there's a part of me that wants to make you suffer for what you did to me. But I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to continue to suffer instead. 
on the spectrum that has on one side of its selflessness and on the other side selfishness, mm-hmm. I think in some of our conversations prior to this show, we have concluded that, uh, at least in our American culture, that we've swung the pendulum pretty far in the direction of selfishness. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me the more selfish we are, the harder it is to admit fault. Right. And it's, I'm thinking it's probably true, I'm wondering what you think about this, that it's just more common for me to offend somebody or to be in somebody's debt and either not recognize it or worse, refuse to accept the fact that I've done something, Yeah, which means that the other person doesn't have to really worry about forgiving me because I haven't asked for it and I'm not going to right. in all likelihood. Yeah. How big is that problem? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. This is... Um, some of us are reading through uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters together, and um, see, he, he talks about this that in, in in human relationships, what you'll frequently find is, especially close relationships, the people who live in your house, you'll find this desire in the way that you talk and the facial expressions you make, even if not in the words that you say, in the way that you say them, this desire to irritate or hurt the other person, but at the same time, the willingness to take offense when they are hurt by those words that you yourself were saying to, you know, to, to try to hurt them. And this, you know, being locked into ourselves makes us so incapable, makes us so incapable of treating people the way that we want to be treated. And the easy move is, and I don't know if you're making reference to this, the easy move is to just say, I'm not going to deal with it. And when people come in, I'm going to separate myself from them. And when people come in, sometimes people will come and talk to me about interpersonal issues with people that, other people that go to the church with us, um, frequently with um, you know, a, a sibling, uh, somebody who's close to them but doesn't live in their house. And the solution that they want to do is say, okay, I don't want to talk to this person anymore because they've hurt me so much or because I've hurt them and they've hurt me so much. And now we're living in this maelstrom of mutually caused pain. I just want out of it. But in my brain, I want to try to forgive them. And what they mean is like, I don't want to have any contact with them anymore, but I don't want to feel bad about this anymore. And frequently that's what they mean by forgiveness is, and it's just so difficult. To, to get to a spot where you're lovingly and willingly immersing yourselves in somebody's life and in the pain that they've caused you. It's difficult. Tell me what God wants us to do, wants to happen in this kind of situation. I do something to offend you, to injure you. And if the uh, football official were here, he'd throw the flag on me. Mm-hmm. So now I am in your debt but I am not asking for your forgiveness and I don't look like I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. Does that put you in a position to wait patiently for me to ask for that? Or does God expect us to go ahead and do that forgiveness, even if it's only in our hearts, in the privacy of our own hearts, uh, without having been, without somebody coming to us saying, I'm sorry, I hurt you. Yeah. I have found when I've talked to people. Now I'm a, I'm a little bit hesitant to say this because I'm not. This is not one of the things I'm 100 percent convinced I'm right about. But 
um, I've talked to a lot of people about forgiveness, and I used to say, yes, you they have not asked for forgiveness yet, but you need to forgive them in your heart. And I've stopped saying that because I don't think that forgiveness is an emotion. I don't think it's I don't think forgiveness is even something that's going on in your brain. Forgiveness is something that happens in a relationship. And so I think it's completely appropriate to be ready to forgive somebody, to have a heart that wants to forgive somebody, but you really can't forgive that person until they ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is about a repaired relationship due to an unwillingness to shift the pain that rightly belongs to the other person but to carry it yourself. And until that relationship happens, forgiveness hasn't happened. And, and that's on the other person too. If the other person hasn't asked for forgiveness, you just can't do it. And I, and I have found that when people say, when, when I say to people, you don't need, you need to be prepared to forgive them. You need to have Jesus's heart that wants to forgive them, but you can't forgive them and don't try to forgive them because it's just a, you can't until they're ready to do it, that people have found a lot of relief in that. In the Lord's Prayer, which I guess the majority of Christians pray every Sunday that uh, they're in church, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Mm -hmm. Now, I can read that in a way where that begins to sound conditional to me. There's forgiveness going on, God forgiving us, us forgiving others, but God, is God waiting for me to do my forgiveness? Is he conditioning my action must be first, yeah. and then he will forgive my trespasses, or does it work a different way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, no, I think it's actually this way, and this this is good for us, because we've been talking so far about for forgiving each other and the pain that we've caused each other. But the, what, what, this, what the Lord's Prayer is getting at here, what Jesus is getting at is that that forgiveness only happens because of the greater forgiveness. You forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It, it, it recognizes, it. instead of being, I think it's backwards to say, I have to forgive everybody else before Jesus forgives me. The right way around is, in the Lord's Prayer, is Jesus has forgiven me, and then I can forgive everybody else, but only because he's forgiven me. And in the Bible, this is consistently true. This is, by the way, which is why... It's difficult in our culture that doesn't believe in a grand, divine forgiveness of the sins that we have done to damage God to actually accomplish. There's no need for, to do forgiveness. There's no point in forgiveness. It's, it's, uh, it's, evolutionary, it's evolutionarily, if that's a word even, inconvenient. Yeah, inconvenient. To, uh, you know, why would you do that? Why would you need to forgive unless you're just kind of a weak person that— is codependent upon other people, and you can't survive unless you have people who abuse you in your life. But if it's true that God in Jesus Christ has absorbed the pain that I've caused him, and at some point, of course, we're going to have to talk about what does it mean to have caused God pain to necessitate this forgiveness, then if I've received that, I have a resource to go to to do that for somebody else. And in fact, you see this in the Bible all the time. One of my favorite stories is story of Jacob and Esau. So twins, um, Jacob, uh, he hurts Esau badly. He, through lying, through greed, he intentionally tries to damage his twin brother. 
And when his brother finds out, he is not in a mood to forgive. He actually wants to kill him. And so Jacob goes off on the lamb and he hides out for a few years. While he's hiding out, he meets God. It's a kind of a crazy, weird story in the book of Genesis. He actually meets God at night and they get into a wrestling match. Jacob initially doesn't know that he's wrestling with God in human form. Uh, but when he realizes it, he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And God says to him, okay, I'm changing your name to Israel, which means the dude who wrestles with God is basically what it means. This Right after that in the story, so Jacob meets with God. God changes his name. He changes his identity from con man to, uh, to the one who wrestles with God. He changes his identity. The very next part of the story, he goes back home and he's going to face his brother. And he knows, I got to do this. I have to go home. My brother wants to kill me, but I got to do this. And when he sees his brother Esau, his brother Esau runs up to him and hugs him. And Jacob says this line to him. He says, I've seen your face, and it's, I'm glad I've seen your face, and it's like the face of God. Now, Jacob knows what the face of God's look like. He just wrestled with him. And when he gets his forgiveness from his brother, he says, that's what God looks like. God looks like forgiveness. This is at the heart, from, from Genesis to Revelation, this is at the heart of the story that God is telling in the Bible, that, that God has radically forgiven the damage that we've done to him because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that allows us to pay that forward, to pass it on to somebody else. I have... I have I have a cachet of forgiveness that I've received from Jesus, which I can now pass on to somebody else. That's what's going on in the Lord's Prayer. So it sounds, if I understand you correctly, you're describing forgiveness as more of a continuum as opposed to uh, an event. When Jesus says, it is finished, the forgiveness for the world was in place, and it was in place Mm -hmm. forever from that point. But if I'm if I tend to have a kind of a legalism to my Christianity, if I tend to think of it as sequentially, uh, today I'm doing pretty good things, uh, and yes, I, I did a couple of things that I'm not proud of. I sinned, so I need forgiveness for those two things. I sort of separate those out, and I need mm-hmm. forgiveness for those. But I'm not thinking that I need forgiveness for all the rest of the things that happen, or I think, or do in during my day. Uh, how far am I away if I'm having this sort of legalistic approach to this for that? I need forgiveness for this sin. I need forgiveness for this sin. The rest I've got. Uh, well, no, that's good. That's a good start, though. Honestly, to, to, to even say I, I, I need forgiveness to, to recognize that I've done damage to God, that I have harmed Him, that I've violated His character, and even if it's like over one or two things. Like, that's a great start, honestly. I mean, most of us don't even, like, how often do I go through a whole day and don't even think about what God thinks about me or how my attitudes or my the words that I've said to my wife or the thoughts that I've thought in my head are damaging? I th- that's a great start. Of course, I mean, the, the it's important to recognize, if the Bible's true, it's important to recognize that everything that we do is colored by selfishness. And so needs to be forgiven by God. So many things that we don't know, though, this is what theologians call the noetic effects of sin, that our brains are affected. Noetic is just comes from the like a, um, 
the, the, the Greek word for mind. And it's the notion that, that our sinfulness, our rebellion against God has so damaged our minds that we don't even know what we don't know. We don't even know the sins that we're committing. Thankfully, the grace of God is so massively huge in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we don't really need, he forgives the sins that we don't even know that we've committed. And uh, um, at one point, somebody in scripture, I think it's David says, you know, if, if there's any sins that I don't even, that I'm not even aware of, forgive those too, forgive the, the, the hidden sins or, and so that, that that's, that's a great start, Chuck. I think that like being willing to say these two sins I need forgiven for, it would be the wrong move to say I've only got two sins that need forgiven. I'm doing good on everything else. But it's it's better than nothing to come to that place where you need the forgiveness. So if it's a great start, if I'm out of the gate, where am I headed? So that I'm not two years from now saying, well, yeah. Today I committed three sins, so I, I guess yeah. I'm I guess I'm experiencing Christian growth. I'm seeing more sins. What is the end game from the great start? Oh yeah, that's good. that's a good question too. Um, so the end game is not to see that more and more of what you do is sinful. Although that's the next step. That's, that that would be the next step is to move to three sins. And if it takes you three or four years to get to where I'm like, okay, I, really, I've got three sins. That I need, that I'm struggling with. That's 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 fine too. We call that progress. That's progress, and that's that's. So okay, if if Christianity is true, the only way that anybody can come to the realization that I have sinned against the Creator God and need forgiveness is by the Holy Spirit. And so, any progress along that path is great. The goal, though, is not more and more shame for sin. The goal is to live in the love of the God who says, I am not going to pass any of that pain on to you. I'm not going to pass that on to you. So, so if I talk, if, 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 if I find out that somebody, a friend of mine is talking bad about me to other people, they've hurt my reputation, they've hurt my feelings and they, and, and, and they, and they come to me and they say, I'm sorry. Like if I, if I'm all powerful, I could say, you know what? I'm ruining your reputation too. You're going to experience this with me. I'm going to make you feel bad too. I'm going to say word to, to to live in the love of a God that says, "Nope, I pass on none of that to you." Instead, I'm, I, you know, God's not saying it's okay, whatever. You know, sometimes there's this myth. Well, why doesn't God just forgive everybody's sins if He's so powerful? It doesn't work. You can't. There, there's pain there. You just can't say, "Well, it's not a big deal." If somebody if somebody would hurt one of my children, it would not be forgiveness to say, "Ah, eh, it's not a big deal." That's not forgiveness. And so to, to 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 move from I'm sinful and I'm broken to there's a God who's willing to I've damaged His child, and He's still willing to say, "I will take the pain of my damaged family, my damaged son. I will take the pain of you slandering me." disbelieving in me when I love you. I'm going to take all of that pain on myself and not give any of it to you. That's the end goal. In Isaiah, somewhere late in the book of Isaiah, he says all of our works, all of them, are like filthy rags. Right. So the person who thinks that he's got two or three filthy rags in his day probably has quite a, a distance to cover. Is 
Is that anything close to the end game? A realization that all of our, and I take that to mean self-initiated works, are of really no value in the eyes of God. Yeah, so really no value. The, the, the word for filthy rags there is actually, there's no English version that will translate it, to what the Hebrew word actually means, because it's, it's, uh, it's not polite to talk about that sort of thing. It has to do with, uh, um, it's, actually, it's actually the word for um, a female's sanitary napkin. That's the word in Hebrew. All of them are like that. Super important step to get to all of our righteousnesses as filthy rags. But again, it's not the end game. That's just the that's just the that's the place that you gotta be before you realize, oh, you know what? I need forgiveness for everything. Then you're ready for the gospel. Then you're ready for the gospel. And once you get it, that's the end game. This realization that God loves me in Jesus Christ and I'm perfect in his eyes. In Psalm 130, verse 4, we read, But with you there is forgiveness, comma, that you may be feared. Now, if you had given me that verse and left out the word feared and asked me to fill in the blank, I'm thinking I'd probably been a long time before I would have come up with feared. Oh, yeah. And I'm kind of confused. Forgiveness has such a lovely connotation to it, heartwarming. Feared is a harsh word. What are those two words doing in the same sentence? Well, a couple things here. One is that the, 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 the one who has the power to forgive sins, that's a ton of power. That's the most, that's the most powerful power in the universe, the, the, the power to forgive, the power to say, I can absorb evil and not radiate it back who amongst us can do that right i mean if your if your country is attacked by an you know a genocidal dictatorial maniac you're going to raise an army and fight back against it. that's what you have to do you are going to bounce that evil back you're going to bounce the evil of war back because you have no choice if somebody this is good this is good um, hopefully this is good pastoral counsel too to, to, to not be discouraged if somebody betrays you, we are called in the name of Jesus, again, like we've been saying, to pass on the forgiveness of Jesus to them. But that's not ever going to be perfect. You're not ever going to be able to say, okay, I'm completely at comfort with that. You know, you're going to live in that. You're never going to forget that betrayal. I, you know, I, I shouldn't say never. I, I pray to God that people can, can forgive and forget. But it's so, so difficult. The one who can the one who can forgive perfectly must be the most powerful energy in the universe. And when you when you you, go, you know jump on YouTube and watch like NASA's videos of the sun doing its nuclear fusion or fission, I'm not a physicist, whatever it's doing, and think about how small our Earth, not just us, but our Earth is in relation to the sun, you'll be awed by that power. And now think about the power of a God who can absorb evil in the death and resurrection of His Son and give nothing back but love. That's the kind of power that is awe-inspiring, and I think that's what it means. But the other, the, there's another part of it too, is that you know, I think about the people that I'm closest to in my life, my my wife and my kids, the people at my church. There's a part of me that, if you say, "Who would you rather hurt?" 
if you're going to end up saying, like, of course, the answer is nobody, right? You don't want to lie about anybody, for instance. You don't want to hurt the feelings of anybody. But would I rather hurt the feelings of somebody I barely know? It's kind of like maybe, say, a social media thing. You know, I say something that hurts somebody's feeling on social media. Would I rather hurt their feelings or would I rather hurt the feelings of my kids? There's something that's like that's like I get scared if I think about hurting one of my children. I remember when I was uh, remember when I was a kid, my dad slammed my finger in the car door. He was a- absolutely crushed. I I mean it hurt, you know. <laughs> well, you get a little blackened fingernail, and that's all there is to it. But he was crushed for but he just felt so horrible. He was afraid. For, you know, he thought about like where's Aaron's hand. For the next year when he was shutting his car, he was afraid to do that. Not not because he's afraid of me, but because the one who loves me so much that they're willing to forgive me, like inspires this sense of like, I don't want to hurt that person. And that's what the psalmist is saying there is that, first of all, the power to forgive is scary powerful, like really good power. But also that once you experience it, there's a certain fear that I I don't want to hurt that person. That person loves me so much. I want to do right by that person. We want to do right by God if we've come to experience that he's a God who loves and forgives us. My last question uh, pertains to the event where Jesus, uh, I think, had a paralyzed man brought to him. That story, I think most people are familiar with that. And they set the paralyzed man in front of him, and he responds by saying, your sins are forgiven. When Probably everybody was in a position to wonder, is, is he going to make him walk? Is he going to make him walk? Right. And the religious leaders are there, and he doesn't say at first, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven, mm-hmm. provoking a great deal of consternation among the religious elite. Yeah. Can I use that term? Um, can you put that event as we remember it now in the, the context of what we've been talking about here? Yeah, that's a great one to wrap up on because that's actually the end end game, right? So I said earlier that the end game is not just to be, be sorry for your sins, uh, not just to ask forgiveness for all your sins, not just to realize that all of our sins are as filthy rags, all our works are as filthy rags, all our righteousness actually is as filthy rags. But um to experience and to know that God loves us in Jesus Christ. Well, that's kind of vague. I could say, you know, I, in a certain sense, that's sort of vague and it's sort of individualistic too, it, which is not, it's totally appropriate. You know, God does love us and forgive our sins. But what does that mean in real time? What does that mean in the story of the Bible? What it means is this is that for God, the forgiveness of sins is not just a psychological trick he pulls off whereby he can think good of us, even though we've rebelled against him. It's actually a part of his plan to renew all things, to make creation whole again, to fix our bodies, to fix the environment, to fix our relationships. And when he tells that guy, I forgive your sins, he means the whole shebang. I'm forgiving your sins, and that includes your moral standing before my father. That includes the health of your body. I can repair all of it. And so for him in that story, you know, so like you pointed out, the, the religious elites say to him, uh, hey, wait a minute! You can't you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, "Well, what's what's easier? I can either say I forgive your sins, or I can say, you know, get up and walk. Like I can forgive his sins, I can heal his body. It's six and one half dozen. Because for Jesus, that's what the forgiveness of sins is about. It's about his Father's plan to fix everything, to make a new creation, and to put all things to right. 
Can we continue on this subject, maybe take a, a different turn next time, but continue on the subject of forgiveness? I'd yeah. like to talk about, in the New Testament, the word forgiveness is almost always paired up with forgiveness of sins. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we could talk about that unforgiveness, the unforgivable sin that is mentioned also in sure. the music. Can we do that next yeah, time? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh, let's make a note of that. We'll take that up on our next show. We want to thank you for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast with Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you have a topic or a question for Pastor Miller, please go to our website at stjamesglencarbon.org and click Contact Us. You'll be able to leave a message there. Thank you for listening.